So John 15, 1 through 17. And we're dropping in on the Gospel of John, um, basically in Jesus' last conversation with his disciples. So he's having this long conversation with them at dinner, and he's touching on many things, and here is where he gives them a beautiful image of who they are and who he is. So this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain so in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Vineyards and talk of vineyards aren't really our thing. I mean, a trip to Niagara region maybe, a few sips of wine, visit to a few wineries, it's kind of the closest most of us will ever come to being vine people, to knowing what it is like to work and be in a vineyard, which isn't really close at all. So aside from this famous metaphor of vine and branches, we usually don't think too much about vines and branches. At least I don't in my regular everyday life. We're not vine people. 
But the disciples knew a thing or two about vines, about branches, about vineyards. And it wasn't necessarily because they were working in a vineyard, but they knew it from their prophets. So vineyard imagery was a favorite one of Old Testament prophets, prophets and preachers and even some of the Psalms. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, they all bring in this imagery of vines, branches, vineyards. And Isaiah has a particular one that really kind of encapsulates what the Old Testament prophets did with the vineyard imagery. This is Isaiah. So see if you can hear some of the similarities to what Jesus is saying and also some of the differences. This is from Isaiah. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest vines. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It will be destroyed. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in, but no longer. In the hands of the prophets, the the language of vine and vineyards and fruit It was all about the faithfulness or unfaithfulness of God's people. And they were often unfaithful and unfruitful, just like a vineyard that bears only sour grapes. And then the language that you hear in Isaiah is, you're going to be destroyed. I'm just going to cut you down. I'm not going to take care of you anymore. I'm just going to let you go to the wild animals. No more hedges. You're just left open and unprotected. You have not been fruitful. And this unfruitful vineyard metaphor and what happens to an unfruitful vineyard was well known to the disciples. For the disciples, talk of vines, vineyards, branches, fruit was synonymous with talk of judgment, talk of disappointment, talk of unfaithfulness, and rebuke. So you can imagine that they perhaps start cringing when Jesus all of a sudden launches into the vine and the branches conversation because they know what's coming. They know what's coming and they're tense to it. Until they realize that Jesus is turning this whole vine and branches metaphor just upside down. I am the vine, Jesus says. You're the branches. Make your home in my love, and you will bear much fruit. These are words of love and not judgment, words of belonging, not rebuke necessarily. Sure, there's some warnings about not bearing fruit, There's possibility of being cut off. But really, on the whole, it's a bit of a vast improvement over Ezekiel and Isaiah's very hard imagery around this metaphor. But then comes the way in which you're to make your home, in which they are to make their home in his love, right? So it's not just about following Torah or following the laws. Jesus says that when you keep my commands, you make your home in my love. And my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. It sounds nice, but when you think about it, I kind of wonder if the disciples thought, maybe we'll take some of the fiery judgment back. Because if you have you met some of these fellas? We have to love that one? Love each other? That's your command? And I can kind of see them looking around at each other and thinking, well, you know, that guy, that guy, 
gets his nails wherever he is. I gotta love him. Or that guy just talks and talks and talks and does not know when to shut his mouth and he just irritates me so much. Or there's always that guy who needs to be right. That one disciple. He usually is and that makes it even more annoying. I've gotta love him. And throughout these discourses, throughout Jesus' conversation with his disciples, whenever Jesus gives a teaching, there's usually a question kind of phrased by a disciple. And here there's no question. But I kind of wonder if they're thinking, can it just be enough to love you, Jesus? Can it just be enough to love you? These guys. A dear friend, Erin, asked me to preach at her wedding. She asked me to preach this passage. We've been friends since our sophomore year of college. We went to seminary together. Um, We both struggled through boring, systematic courses and came alive in preaching courses. And we both met our husbands to be there. So I preached, she preached at my wedding, and I got to preach at her wedding. And they chose this passage. And it makes sense. If you hear the passage in one way, it's about belonging and rootedness, about love, about bearing good fruit, it kind of says, well, you can kind of see how that works, right? But I found it to be a challenge to preach at a wedding. I found it a challenge because how do you speak well of love on a day when we all know too many marriages and relationships that just don't end well, where couples don't love well, where things break apart and fall apart? How, how do I preach about loving each other and this kind of high promise of if you love, it's going to be okay. When I was also preaching to a group of people who know how hard it is to love day in and day out. Year in and year out. How do you preach to those gathered who know the scars of love? Who know the wounds of love? How do you preach this passage in a way that rings true how do you do that? And preaching it in church doesn't really make it any easier, to be really honest. Because I don't know about you, but I have seen a lot of broken churches. I've seen churches split and divided over some really mundane things, but in really ugly ways. I have seen walls of distrust and anger in a church where there should be love as a bridge. And for some reason, when it happens in the church, it stings especially hard. It hurts especially more. How ugly church can be. So sometimes it just makes you want to throw up your hands and say, can it not just be enough to love you, Jesus? (laughs) I got that. But all these other people, that's not so easy. And it's awfully tempting to say, can it just be enough that I love Jesus? Rachel Held Evans was a blogger and a writer. She passed away earlier this year. Um, but her writing is beautiful. She also wrestled very honestly with her difficulty with being part of church for its ugliness, for the way that we can hurt each other. <laughs> For the way in the church that we have particular ways of harming each other, um, yeah. And so she wrote a blog post early in her years called 15 Reasons I Left Church. 
And they vary. I mean, there's 15 of them. It's kind of long. But they vary from the insightful, I think. One of her reasons was, I left church because whenever we talk about sin, we talk about sex. Only that. To the self-confessing, where she said, I left the church because of my own selfishness and pride. Right? That if they belonged, I didn't want to belong where they did. What I found, her reasons were fine, but I found the most revealing things to come in the comments below. The comments that came after the blog post. And a lot of people chimed in with reasons why they left church. Churches that were too liberal or too conservative. Churches that were too political or not political enough. Churches that were too hypocritical or churches that were too wishy-washy. Churches that were too like suburban or churches that were too urban or whatever the reason was. Something failed. The church failed them in some way and they couldn't be a part of it. Almost all of those who chimed in made a distinction between church with a small C and church with a big C. They could belong to the big church, the body of Christ, but they did not have to belong to a particular congregation. That I left. I can still love Jesus. I can still be a Christian. I just don't have to show up at Little C Church. They could do this life of faith on their own. Can it just be enough to love you, Jesus? Please let it just be enough to love you. But we're all branches. We're all branches. We're connected. We're intertwined. We're growing from the same vine. And the fruit that we bear is the work of loving one another. We can't escape each other, even when we want to. We're not supposed to. And this is where talk of pruning comes in. I remember my dad pruning the fruit trees. There was a small little orchard behind our house. He had planted them, he cared for them. And it would come the time of year my dad would prune the trees. And hacking would be a far better description of what he did. And I would look on his horror as he was just like almost unmercilessly just chop these trees back. To my untrained eye, I thought he was just, just being brutal. They looked so naked and sad and bald. I just felt pity for them. But my dad is the gardener, not me. Thanks be to God, because I have a hard time keeping a house plant alive. And he cared for this orchard. He had a way with plants and growing things knowing when to prune, when to hack, how to get the best fruit, the most growth. And every spring, the trees would come back, fuller, stronger, bearing enough fruit, but not overbearing the tree. He knew what he was doing. He knew how to prune, how to hack. He saw what was possible in them. The gardener cuts off every branch, that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Loving one another, even when it's difficult, even when it's nearly impossible, prunes us. Loving one another changes us, 
loving one another transforms us in ways that little else does. And I'm not talking about manufacturing emotional feeling of love for everyone around you. We're human, that's not gonna happen. What does it look like to love someone sitting next to you in a pew that you don't particularly like? Like and love are two different things. Love is being for the other person. Like is a matter of personality. We're not called to like one another. We are called to love one another. It's not enough to say that we love Jesus if we don't love our brother or sister sitting in the pew next to us. And that's why ultimately the language of a personal relationship with Jesus, which is language I grew up with, um, it's not enough. Being rooted in the vine is deeply personal. (laughs) It is incredibly intimate the way that Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. There's intimacy with him making a home in his love absolutely deeply personal, but it is not just personal. It is communal and is inescapably communal. Can't just be a Jesus and me kind of faith. And that is the hard part of it, right? That's the risky part of it. And I would argue that it's also what makes it so deeply beautiful Because a community, especially church community, can be messy and brutal and complicated and hard and hair-pullingly frustrating. But it can also be good. It can also be so surprisingly grace-filled and joy-filled at its best. We all know that our love, our ability to love, our capacity to forgive, isn't enough. Because at some point in our lives together, if you've been in relationship in any way, friendship, marriage, just in your own family of origin, you know that at some point, your ability to love fails. Your ability to forgive fails. At some point in our lives together, we find it impossible to reach out because we're human. We tend to be a little selfish and we tend to harm each other really easily. We don't have the resources of love we need within ourselves. We know that when we're honest with, our, with, each, with ourselves, with each other. But I think that's why Jesus starts off in this beautiful passage about the source of our love. I am the true vine. (laughs) You are the branches. Our love is rooted in a deeper love. Our ability to forgive is surpassed in the one who offers us forgiveness. And the command to love is not just to love one another, it's not just what we do, but it's rooted in that assurance that comes as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. We're already loved, and so we love. Frederick Dale Bruner describes this connection between God's love and our love as a breathing exercise. This is what he says. We inhale the undeserved divine love for ourselves. 
And then we exhale our all too human but still well-intended love for each other. This is the breathing exercise that all disciples do, that we try to practice every day. As we receive love, and then we breathe love. And without the Spirit's help in this exercise, without the Spirit's help in breathing in that love, we're going to have a whole lot of trouble breathing. So you receive love, and you give love. It is in the midst of community with one another, with brothers and sisters in Jesus, with all the messiness, with all the beauty of it, with all the complicated annoyance of it, this is where we learn to breathe. This is where we learn that we are loved, and this is where we learn to love. When you keep my commands, you make your home in my love. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for those one loves. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me. You are the God who loves us. <laughs> Jesus, you are the vine and we are the branches. And you invite us to remain in your love. You hold us in your love and you hold us together. So we are thankful for all the brothers and sisters in our lives here at Community CRC, but also just in our broader relationships with followers of you. We thank you for the beauty of them. We thank you for the connection. We thank you for the relationships. We thank you for the warmth of those relationships. We also pray for the people that we find it particularly hard to love. The, the, those who we find it particularly difficult to like. And yet you remind us that we belong to each other. That you are the vine and we are the branches. So we ask that you prune us, hack away at us if need be, as you teach us to love each other, as you teach us to reach out beyond ourselves, to care for each other, to love each other, as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.